those uncomfortable positions is where actual growth happens. So you're not going to be able to to grow unless you are comfortable in those uncomfortable places. What's up, everyone? It's your boy, Danny Lopriori, and welcome to Off the Cuff. You might know me as the guy from the Basement Yard, Vine, the Low Priori podcast. And while I love to make people laugh, just know that I've struggled with my mental health for most of my life, just like many of you. Here on Off the Cuff, I will be talking with some of the most impactful influencers, athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and mental health experts to have real, unapologetic conversations about mental health and breaking the stigma that surrounds it. This show is for you, and I'm so happy to have you here. Now, let's talk Off the Cuff. Welcome back to Off the Cuff. Today, I have, I mean, I can't even say how amazing of a guest this is. (laughs) I'm so hyped up. I'm trying out the fangirl right now. My guest is an actor, podcast host, a black man. Yeah. More importantly, just a human being, a human mm-hmm. being with feelings. Uh, and that's something that I want to get into is trying to separate yourself from a character and, you know, being a dad and stuff. But anyway, yeah. Tristan Mack Wilds. Tristan, how are you doing, sir? I'm feeling good, man. I'm feeling good, uh, especially today. I, I don't know. My publicist, we we talk often and I've told him when I was just seeing him when I was with him in L.A., I feel like we're on the cusp of something. So I, I don't know what it is, but I just feel like something is about to happen. And uh, yeah, I'm just feeling good. I'm feeling energetic. I love that. I love that. It's funny to hear you say that because how old are you now? I am 33 right now. I'll be 34 in July. 34 in July. All right. So we're the same age. If you think about it, right, to hear somebody who's accomplished really so much in their life already, you know what I mean? Just we're on the cusp of something huge. How do you stay motivated? After the wire, I probably would have retired. I've been like, yo, like I I, I did it. Like everyone's going to like rock with my shit forever. <laughs> you know, like, you know, I'll do a couple things here and there. But like, how do you stay so motivated, especially in an entire industry where People come and people go. You know what I mean? It's very hard to stay around. You know, you've been doing it for, you know, I'm not trying to age you, but 15, almost 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. My first audition was when I was 13 years old. So, yeah, over 20 years ago. Where does that confidence come from? Is that something you always had or is this something that, you know, you've always like learned, you know, maybe later on in the business? Like what's where's this confidence come from? I think it comes from a bunch of different places. I think it comes from where I come from. You know, I I come from um, in Staten Island. You know, there's a little neighborhood called Stapleton. And in Stapleton, there's a projects. And in like any projects, you know, whether you've actually been there, lived there, heard songs, you're literally growing up in kind of a melting pot of a bunch of different people. And the main idea or the main thought process for the majority of those people are either, you know, try to make as much money as you possibly can, or we have to get out of here. Like everybody's on the same mindset, no matter how much fun you have, no matter how much you grow up and all of that stuff, you still have the same kind of tenacity to kind of hustle and and make it out of there. That's where that energy comes from. But another big part of it is I don't think I'm ever, or I haven't yet been fully satisfied with where I am or what I'm doing. You know, there's certain things that even now I could look at the wire and it's just because I'm very critical of myself. I can look at certain things on the wire and I'm like, mm, I wish I would have seen what, the, what take they would have used. I would have asked for, the, for a different take or, ooh, I could have did that a little different. But it's so crazy because 
if you watch the entire thing, it, everything is a puzzle piece. Every mistake is purposeful. Everything that they do is is damn near perfect. So even me as the perfectionist, I'm watching it like, but I could make that puzzle piece crisper. I could do it better. Right, right. I feel in entertainment where we all have this kind of weird perfectionist obsession sometimes. You know what I mean? We want to be the best versions of ourselves, especially in our art, right? Mm -hmm. So like even you, you could critique yourself at 15 years old now and just just kind of just being like, yeah, like I, I could have said this line better. Like, I don't know why they use this or like why they do that. Do you still like critique your own work even that old? Honestly, I critique that stuff a lot more than I critique the newer stuff, which is crazy. I feel like I've gotten into a better rhythm now. Yeah. I understand certain things better. I know how to make sure that things feel a lot more natural and just kind of live in the skin of my characters a lot more. So when I'm looking at a lot of the stuff when I was younger, whether it be The Wire, 90210, Red Tails, anything. Like I'm, I'm looking back and I'm that scene with Silver on 90210, I could have did that better. Or dang, that scene with Nate Parker on Red Tails, I could have did that better. Or, oh, you know, that scene with I'm always kind of looking and tweaking and trying to get better. And it, it's the same thing with any art that I do. So, yeah. All right. I'm going to have to counteract that with, there hasn't been a wider spectrum of development of a character. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. In, in American cinema than Mike on The Wire. You know what I mean? That's, That's one of the craziest story arcs of a character ever in American cinema that we've seen in a long time. That's a lot of pressure for a 15-year-old kid. Yeah, it is. It's funny because I often wonder how much they knew they were going to do beforehand and how much they, it was like, let's figure this out. Let's keep the ball rolling. But knowing David Simon, they said that he went into the office of HBO with all five seasons already like laid out. Like, this is what's going to happen all of these years. You guys are going to think I'm crazy. Trust me. And yeah. The thing that's amazing about The Wire, too, is because we know how TV shows are, right? It's like uh, Stranger Things or like something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You guys had white people talking every Monday. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That was the craziest thing about The Wire was the crossover audience that you had. You had people from all walks of life watching that show. And you know how it is on HBO. HBO, you see a lot of shows come and go on HBO. It just happens. At that time, HBO is still in like the height of the Sopranos, right? You guys are competing kind of with the Sopranos because the Sopranos was obviously this huge show, but people don't really understand it. The Wire was on at the same time. Literally the same exact time. I remember when the Sopranos would, of course, sweep the award seasons. We'd go to like Golden Globe parties and they put... Us, at, us, anybody that was on the wire in like a small table in the corner in the back of the party and the Sopranos would have this huge, long table in the middle of the party. Everybody has their awards, cigars. It looked like like literally like a Gambino scene. You have to walk by them to get to your seat or walk by them to get the buffet. It's crazy. It was crazy. If you go off like Rotten Tomatoes, the wire is uh, like better rated than the Sopranos. Yeah. Yes, it so, is. You know, next time they got to get you a bigger table. But I think that was mostly <laughs> they had to keep Snoop in line. So they probably, oh, yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah. You know, they were like, they have Snoop a table in the back. 
and let her chill, you know. A lot, a lot of volatile characters when it a came lot of to us. <laughs> you know, your origin, right? Staten Island. So every time I meet somebody from Staten Island, I have to ask, who's your favorite member of the Wu Tang? Oh man, it varies because I grew up with all of them, right? Yeah, so, that's right. You like you actually you knew some of them. Your yeah. your dad knew some of them, right? Yeah, they used to come to my dad's barbershop all the time. There it is. So like, you know, some days I'm listening to like Iron Man and you know, of course it's Ghost. Like Ghost yeah. the storyteller, he is just super flamboyant and flashy and you can feel the gaudiness in his raps. And then sometimes you want to get into some gangster and, and you just want to hear like Raekwon go crazy on the purple tape or something like that. And meth, super lyrical, still to this day, any job that me and meth will get together, he's one of those guys who'll constantly come to me with raps because he wants to hear me rap. And he's like, nah, we got to keep you sharp. Come on. Like, what you got? Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. That's it's wild. Crazy. That's wild to have a relationship with meth man right there where it's yeah. just like, yeah, all right, give me. Give me 16 right yeah, now. Yeah, right now. Like, I want to hear where you at. Yeah. That's incredible. But if we're talking about just lyricism or something like that, man, it's it's like Jizzle or Inspect the Deck. I'm a chef guy. I remember my brother had the original purple tape. So, mm-hmm. like, uh, so what people don't understand, uh, for all the young people listening, we used to listen to these things called cassette tapes. Cassette tapes. <laughs> Raekwon, they did an album called Only Bill for Cuban Links. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for only built for Cuban links, yet they had this amazing uh, marketing idea to make the tapes purple. Yep. And uh, I remember opening the cassette tape holder and seeing yeah. the purple tape, and I pulled it out and I put it in, and I was a chef fan ever since. So. Stuck, just stuck. Yeah. I loved the idea and everything behind that so much. When we did my first album, and we were kind of doing like we were in the promo, the promo sp- space of my first album, we were sending people cassette players with my I did a red tape instead of a purple tape. I was sending people my red tape of New York a love story. It was crazy. You want to know the other thing too is like people don't understand that too is like absolute like smash hit too. You know what I mean? This is what I'm talking about. (laughs) That's why when I love when I have people on this show, I always make this joke on the show. It's like uh, interesting people and then it's just me. It's a great feeling. So what I wanted to get uh, also into is, like I said before, I I rewatched The Wire recently. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the thing that you don't really notice as much when you're 16, 17 years old uh, watching the show originally when it launched is the trauma of these characters. Yeah. You know, and, you know, for a 15 year old, like even particularly like the stuff with Bugs Dad, right? That's a lot to ask of a 15-year-old actor when they were going over that stuff and acting in scenes with Bugs' uh, father, right? Mm-hmm. Did they discuss, like, kind of the trauma of your character before that for you to get into character? Or was it something that was in the script and then kind of came later in terms of, like, you know, how Chris handled it and everything? You know, I think I think everything that you guys seen in the script is what happened. And I remember our acting coach at the time, who was Proposition Joe, Robert Chu, he was our acting coach because he also had like a a small children's acting troupe in Baltimore that he was working with all the time. So he would work with us like every time we get a new episode, we all come in a room, we'd sit down with our scripts and he'd kind of sit down with us, break down to like literally to the smallest amount of like what emotions we're supposed to be feeling in these moments. So... 
I remember not knowing that entire or just the understanding of what the relationship between Michael and Bug's father was until I was a little older, like not until like I finished The Wire when I was 17. I don't think I fully wrapped my head around it until I think we did the AFI Awards. I was 18, 19 years old. People were coming up to me, asking me questions about it and, and all of that stuff. And I just remember, you know, Mr. Chu just kind of like telling me, listen, this is a man that you don't like. Right. You don't like him because you feel like he's a danger to your little brother. Uh, you don't like him because, you know, you guys have prior history. It wasn't broken down as like, you know, this man uh, touched you and blah, 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 blah. I think it was right. more so just understanding the feelings that I have towards him and just letting it play out. However, it kind of came through my body, yeah. like giving me the understanding of the emotion and then just seeing where it went. That's a lot to ask of like a 15 year old kid. You know, you have a 15 year old, right? Mm-hmm. He's, but he's on an adult show with huge adult themes. Yeah. Was there like kind of a learning curve for you to stay in the character of a child, but also being able to like go up to that level and kind of be an adult on set? It's got to be very hard because you're dealing with real shit. Yeah. You know, like these are real stories. These are, you know, based on real people. That's what a lot of people don't understand is like show based on a lot of real people. On actual people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They think it's just made up like all the way, but like they're, uh, no, David no, no. Simon, you know, they're based on like real people. Yeah. How'd you kind of deal with, you know, growing up on the show as well? Because you're changing mm. as a person. Mike's changing as a character. And this is something that you're kind of a part of your metamorphosis. So what was sure. that kind of like? For my metamorphosis side, it kind of got me into a mindset, especially dealing with, you know, veterans in the game, different legends in the game, you know, Michael K. Williams, that's my, like my actual big brother. A lot of people can't say one of the greatest actors, like whether he gets the title, whether people give him the title or not, one of the greatest actors that we know who played Omar is one of my big brothers, like came to Stapleton Projects, come check on me, came to my house, ate dinner with my family, went to my dad's barbershop. He was really family. Same thing with Snoop with everybody, with Banga, like th- these guys yeah. become your family. So you're dealing with real life veteran actors, these guys who have dedicated their lives to portraying actual people, characters, giving real uh, performances. So that starts to kind of rub off on you. So even at a young age, I'm really like starting to, before I even realize that I'm doing it, I'm analyzing characters, I'm reading lines a lot better than other people. like. Going from the wire and then literally jumping into 90210, you start to realize even like uh, who, any other actors, mind you, we had a, an, a fantastic cast. Like even on 90210, the cast was veterans because you had Shanae who came from Degrassi. You had yeah. uh, Anna Lynn who came from Nick Tuck. You know, you, everybody had their resumes up. So you're working at such a high level I didn't feel like I had to catch up by any means. Like usually right. getting into a place like that, you'd like, oh, I got to figure out how this works now. Like I'm, I'm good. Like we run it. How are we moving? It created something in my head that allowed me to analyze this work differently than I think a lot of people at my age at that time was able or had the capacity to do. Well, you'd be shook. I'd be shook. Yeah, I was definitely shook. 
You know what I mean? You would see all these things. Like I'm sitting there as somebody with dreams and aspirations. I was like, damn, you know, like you want to be a part of that. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, when yeah. and then when you actually get to be a part of that and grow as an actor throughout the seasons, because I think you did like 22, 23 episodes of The Wire. I did fourth season and I did the fifth season. Yeah. And for people to even just kind of like be like, no, you're one of the best characters on the show. It's still, I still, I'm like, nah, Omar, what you got Wood Harris here? You got Idris Elba? Like, what are you talking about? But here's the thing, though, is that I think a great message that's sent on that show is what is going on in these particular streets of Baltimore, the effect mentally that it has on the children of the community. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the most because us, we look like I'm talking just people that watch it live. It's the glitz and the glamour. Like, is Omar going to, of course, is Avon going to get wet up? We're watching the whole show that way. But like I said, when you watch it with older eyes, you're like, these children are exposed to these horrible, traumatic events every day. Yeah. Me and my brother still get, say, get your pack off this bitch like, all the time. <laughs> so we say that shit all the time, bro. Like anytime, like somebody either eyes are like owes us money for work or like something like that, or just like, yo, get your pack off this bitch. <laughs> <laughs> we say that shit all the time. But even stuff, there's little lines that go throughout it. And especially the metamorphosis of your character, too. When Chris, says to you, I think it's Chris, he says, uh, or somebody else that says, you can look them in the eye now. Mm -hmm. when, when, when you're shooting them in the face. You can look you them know, in the eye now. Yeah. You can look them in the eye now. Now, back then, I'm like, damn, that's hard. But now that I'm older and softer, I'm like, damn, dude, like, they fucking transformed this kid into a monster. Yeah. This kid was always the good kid, even when you box him with Cuddy and doing the whole thing. And he's trying to stay on a straight and narrow, doesn't want anything to do with the package. Then Marlo comes around and things get a little bit crazy. Did they always in your mind be like, oh, we're just we're turning Mike kind of into like the next Omar? I think they had that. Honestly, I think they had that in their head the entire time. But I don't think that we fully knew the, I guess, the trajectory. Right. Or maybe they did. I, I don't know. It's crazy to think how it all went down. Because even me, like, well, not even just me, all of us, this is how we would do it. Like, we would go to school uh, Monday through Friday. Maybe we'd have to do like three hours of, of school with the tutor. We'd be in, a, in the production office, you know, if we weren't working. Every Thursday, they would drop off the new episodes. Or it wasn't every Thursday, maybe like every other Thursday or something like that. They drop off the new episodes. So literally, we'd stop school. We kind of run through the scripts, try to see what's going on, read them like a book, come back to talk to each other. Yo, did you see what happened? Did you see what happened? So funny story. It was one Thursday, season five. We get the scripts and I'm going through it. I'm sitting there with Jermaine Crawford, who played Dookie at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm going through the scripts and I'm reading it and I'm like, oh, snap. I'm looking at him. He's looking at me because we're reading it at the same time. I'm like, bro, Michael's about to die, bro. This is crazy. I'm reading through it. I'm like, oh, snap. They're about to kill me off, bro. This is crazy. They're about <laughs> to kill me off. Get to that scene. And I said, damn, I got to kill Snoop. And as soon as I said it, I turned around and she was walking in the office. Oh, she and didn't I read said, it yet? She just read it, too. Oh. So I walked out. I said, 
Sis, she said, I know, bro. It don't even worry about it. It's all good. Shit said, feels real, right? I, it feels I, like, yo. <laughs> and they did a genius thing where to make the emotions real, to make how everybody felt about each other real. When we were doing season four, in the very beginning of us doing the show, because the majority of the scenes were all four of us together, like we would do school together. We would like they would tell us to go like go on events together. Like we would like if we're not working, we go to the movies, we take girls out, whatever. Right. 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 Yeah. By the time you get to the middle of season four, you start to kind of see people spread apart. So now I'm not going to school with all four people. Now it's I'm just going to school with Jermaine or like today is me, Jermaine and Maestro. And I haven't seen Maestro in mad long. So the energy that you're seeing on screen is oftentimes like real because we haven't seen each other in forever. They did it on purpose. They did all of that on purpose. So even the last scene of season five where, you know, I'm dropping off Bug and then I'm dropping off uh, Dookie. They made sure that those scenes were each of our last scenes. So me and Bug, that was literally Bug's last scene. It was the last time I was going to see him. And, you know, that was real emotion. Like, this is my little brother for the last three years or so. And then me and Jermaine, for and I, I think they had it on camera. I think they somebody kept the take. They rolled the camera and they didn't say action for like a good like five, 10 minutes. They literally just let us sit in the car and just think. And like, just sit there while we're thinking about like, dog, this is your last scene. Like, you're about to be done. Like, I got a whole nother scene I got to do, but you're about to be done. I don't even know when I'm going to see you next. They catch us talking. And like, as soon as it starts to get emotional, the director says, action. And they're like, fuck. Yeah. Well, that's that's incredible, man. Yeah. That shot of him walking down the alleyway, obviously knowing like what his future holds is like. Everything about that show is just done so well. The other thing I wanted to talk about, too, on the show is uh, you met your wife on the set. Yeah. Of The Wire. Yeah. Tell me how that came about. And then did that make you step your acting up, too? Because you're like, (laughs) now I got to impress this girl now. You know what I mean? I can't be getting yelled at by the fucking director every day. Yeah, right. So for the classroom scenes. You know, they were blessing kids from all over the DMV. So, you know, you were getting kids from from Virginia. You're getting kids from other parts of Maryland and, of course, D.C. That's where my wife is from. So her mom, shout out to mommy. She was driving Christina into Baltimore to come do these scenes, you know, get a couple dollars in her park pocket for, you know, doing some quick extra work or whatever. We seen her one time in the classroom and I was like, oh, she's new. Me and Maestro were both kind of like, oh, my gosh, she's who, who's going to get her? What, like we're trying to go back and forth, trying to figure it out. <laughs> And I remember for like a good week while she was there, nobody talked to her. Nobody said anything. We were talking so much smack about who was going to talk to her, who wasn't going to talk to her. Oh, she's mine. No, she's mine. I seen her first, whatever. Nobody talked to her for a whole week. That's most guys at 15, right? We talk a lot. We talk a lot of shit and then they're standing right there. We don't know what to do. Nothing. Nothing. So finally, it's lunchtime. And where we shot was an actual school, but it was a shutdown school like Baltimore was, you know, shutting down schools left and right at the time. So we were in like an actual school, but it was shut down. So the power and everything were powered by us. Like we had generators outside. So a lot of times these classrooms, they didn't have heat. So for us, 
as soon as they say cut, they're bringing us, me, Maestro, Jermaine, whoever's like the, the head cast at the time, they're bringing us coats, you know, kind of cool us all, you know, warm up or whatever. Everybody else, if you don't have your coat, you got to walk all the way down to whatever room and go find it, go get your coat, whatever. Christina's about to walk out. And I'm like, hey, I see your coat. And I gave her my jacket. That's a New York move. Yeah, all, all day. All that's day. A, that's a New York City move right there. Because all not day. everywhere is cold. Listen, I've done that one a couple of times myself, and it's pretty legit. See, that's why you knew what you were doing. You probably knew 10 minutes before that fucking jacket came. You said, I'm going to offer this girl my jacket. Oh, yeah. I'm going to give her my jacket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, gave her my jacket. And from there, the rest was history, man. I love that, man. It's just like you don't hear stories like that anymore. You know what I mean? Even love, even love is different now with like technology <laughs> and shit. You know what I mean? So you're finding so many people on these uh, on, on the different dating apps and all of this stuff. It's crazy. I also wanted to say Michael K. Williams. I met him a couple of times at Nick games. Mm-hmm. I have a friend that plays for the Rangers. So we'd be able to go in and like sit. Oh, like, yeah, dope, dope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It got Dolan's whole thing in there. So like, you know, we're all chilling. There's two different suites. There's a friends and family suite. And then there's the suite. The suite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, You know what I mean? Where you can go have breakfast and shit. So like, <laughs> I'm, I'm up there and I'm chilling. Me and my friend are there. Like Remy Ma's there, Fat oh, yeah, Joe's yeah, there. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know it's one of I mean? those nights. Yeah, one yeah, of yeah. those nights. You know what I mean? I think they were playing the Clippers. I mean, the Clippers are still good, but like when they were like they were up when they were on fire. When it was Lob City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Or or literally like just on the way out of Lob City. So we were just all chilling. It was one of those situations. I was like, if I don't say hello to this man, like I'm gonna regret it for like the rest of my life. And I kept it funky, though. You know how it is? It's just like, yo, you don't want to picture anything. No, yeah, yeah. You just want to say what's up. Hey, I I just want to say I respect your work. Mm -hmm. But in my mind, I'm forgetting that I'm in this suite with mad famous people. So (laughs) I I dab him up. I'm like, hey, man, like huge fan of your work. And he was like, oh, like, what do you do? Because, you know, when you're in those kind of rooms, it's like you got to do something to get in here. What did you do to get up here? (laughs) Yeah, basically. like He's like, yo, like, what's up, man? So like, what do you do? I was like. Oh, uh, my friend plays hockey for the Rangers. <laughs> and then he was like, all right, that's cool. And then I met him again in Carbone. My brother, he was a manager, a captain in Carbone. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Michael used to be in there a lot. So I met him again and it was, uh, I told him that story and he started laughing. He was just uh, really the salt of the earth. And like, you know, if you really think about it too, it's, uh, he's just a kid. That line is a big one. You know what I mean? It's a lot on that show is like, uh, there's so many stories going on. Not everybody always like intermingles. So like when you kind of get to see uh, Omar and Michael like on on screen together, and then you see how it goes, how it how it turns out. Yeah, it's even that scene where um where he walks up hobbling and he puts the gun to my back. That was maybe the second time, second or third time that we like had a scene scene together. Because I think right before that was the the shootout scene. Yeah. Where he jumps out the window was a true story, by the way. That was a true story. That was an actual true story. So one of the guys who was, I guess, just a script supervisor or whatever, was the actual Omar. His name was Donnie. And Donnie told the story of him being in the middle of a shootout. And instead of jumping out the fourth floor window, he actually jumped out the sixth floor window. So... The writers were like, nobody's going to believe that. So we had to drop it down two floors just so it makes it a little more believable. Put bushes down and all of that. But Donnie said to get out of that situation alive, he saw his man on the floor shot and said, 
I got to get out of here. Jumped out the window, broke his leg, but got away. It's incredible because you got to really think about it, too. It's like there's no added like super like special effects. It's just hood shit. No, literally, literally. (laughs) The show is so good because it's just hood shit. Like people are like, I remember when that happened, they were like, yo, there was no way like Omar would like be able to like jump out of a window and like survive. I'm like, yo, crazier things have fucking happened, bro. <laughs> bro you know what I mean? Crazier things with adrenaline have definitely happened. The other thing too is that Omar being gay. Yo, for real. When you think of the most gangster people on television, you know, even including the Sopranos, you know what I mean? They had a whole fucking season about how you can't be gay. Yeah. They had a whole season with Vito. You know, Omar being gay, you didn't even think really about it. It was one of those things that it was like, it just was. Yeah. I think because of that, at such a young age, for me, being able to see that, like one of the, if not the top dog of the show is carrying himself in such a way that it's, you don't even think about his sexuality. No. His sexuality isn't who he is. His sexuality is just a part of who he is. And, you know, he's. He's still the top dog. He's still going to come down with his shotgun and his whistle and it's going to be problems for you no matter who he goes home to. So, yeah, it was it was real. Yeah. No, it's, it's the truth, because you got to really think about it. That's very hard to get over. Yeah. It's like, oh, the most feared character on the show is a gay man. <laughs> man, I had so many people telling me stories about when they first started watching The Wire and in the beginning, before you even get into his sexuality, you just see him with the guy who's kind of helping him. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's his little team. You know, he got a little squad until like, I think the next episode and you see him tonguing old boy down. And it's like, yeah, wait a minute. They got me, too. This is different. I w- so my mom was telling me she would go to work and she- guys would come into work talking about, yo, I'm Omar. Then the next week is like. Actually, maybe not. (laughs) It's such an amazing show that it was able to portray a lot of things. I feel like with a lot of entertainment now, I'll say this because you're you're still in the industry. What I would say is a lot of writing now, it's there's a sentence in the script now where it's like, I am this. Yeah. Or I am that. Or this is this is this for like the audience to like get it over. One of the greatest things about The Wire was. The trauma that the characters had, the mm-hmm. things that they all necessarily went through. Because when Chris beats uh, beats basically your dad to death, you could tell that the anger and the fire and the fear and the everything that was inside of him was because something happened to him when he was a kid. Yo, you didn't even have to talk about it. No. That's the type of writing, that's the type of filmmaking that I love, where you don't treat your audience like they're dumb. Right. Like you don't say, oh, I got a spoon feed this to them. It's you let it be played out in the pictures, like show us what's going on. And seeing that at such a young age, again, even with Michael. No, there's never one time where we spoke about what actually happened to Michael. So everybody is like, so, you know, did this is this happened? Like, is that what happened? You feel it. So you I don't even have to tell you. Yeah. You know exactly what happened. Even if you don't know exactly what happened, you know exactly what happened. You don't need to. It's almost portrays like what people go through in real life, right? You kind of don't know why certain people are the way they are, but they have mm-hmm. these long histories of trauma 
and their life. And then now when you see what happens, you see Michael get out of the car, won't let Cuddy drive him home. A lot more stuff. Yep. Why he doesn't really like men that come around him in his life in these like powerful positions. Why he's a certain way, because now it becomes full circle. And that, my friends, is great writing. Yeah. Speaking of great writing, do you yourself find now that you've been in the game for so long that you would kind of want to write films and write TV and maybe go down that road? Because absolutely. Yeah, that's something that you're interested in doing, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's funny because when a lot of people ask me, you know, what is what is my thought process between being like, are you more of an actor? Or are you more of a musician? I tell them neither. I'm a writer. Even before acting, before music popped off anything, I was writing. I was writing poetry. I was trying to write songs. Like I was, I was writing stories. Writing always connected with me in certain ways that kind of connected me to other forms of art. I've been wanting to write scripts and everything since a, from a young age. And it took me, I think, even this long to just get to a place where not only do I feel comfortable enough, but I feel like I've seen enough that I can write a pretty decent script if, if need be. You touched on people, you know, saying, oh, what are you? Are you this or oh, like, uh, are you a rapper now? Are you a singer now? Mm -hmm. it's, it it could be all encompassing, but also like searching for your identity in the entertainment business. And, you know, there will be people, people that listen to this be like, oh, like, woe is me. But it can be very depressing mm -hmm. trying to find yourself as an yeah. artist. Yeah, it can be. And that's a very difficult thing, because the only thing that we have to judge you on, people that don't know you, is the, the work and the art that you are vulnerable enough to put out into the world. Right. True indeed. And that could be a very depressing thing when people come up to you and try to label you and say, you know, what are you? Because when we go to bed at night, we're like, yo, like, what the fuck I'm, am I? I'm me. Yeah. In your head, you're like, oh, I thought I was me, but I guess I have to be I have to fit into one of these boxes. So, yeah, it it definitely can get to a place where you can start to get into your own head. But I think one of the best one of the best things that I had even kind of growing up where it was just like good people in my corner to let me know, do it all. You know, make sure that you have a focus. Make sure that you have focus, not a focus. Make sure you have focus. But do as much as you possibly can. You know, we only have one life. We only here for however many years that we're here. We're lucky. So if we're lucky, right? So go hard or go home. Like do as much as you possibly can. You know, don't sit on your hands. Don't let nobody try to fit you into a, a pretty little box just because it makes them feel comfortable. Make people feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Feel comfortable making people feel uncomfortable. Even like when I do stand up now, it's like I like to feel comfortable when nobody's laughing. Yes. Find comfort in the areas of like where it's silent in the crowd, where everyone's yeah. not. They're just listening to you tell a story. Find comfort in those uncomfortable positions. I those, those uncomfortable positions is where actual growth happens. So you're not going to be able to to grow unless you are comfortable in those uncomfortable places. Yeah. And that's in like anything, right? Like not even just the entertainment world. It's like, Hey, what's up? Like I have anxiety. I don't like to go to like big things like mm -hmm. exposure therapy. I'm a big fan of exposure therapy. Same. It's just like, you know, like go to a concert, like, you know, you have the safety net of like the artists that you love, of but course. you're also in this yeah. surrounding that you're not comfortable with. Go to a birthday party that you don't want to go to. 
like small, like small shit, like little shit, like that. But it's real. It, it it helps you. It helps. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And then like, even like for you, especially in, in your case, it's very hard for black men to be depressed. That's the sentence. Yeah. That's the sentence I want to put it as a lot of people go around and they try to find like cool, like buzzwords and sentences to say it. Hmm. It's very difficult. For men in general to be depressed because, you know, if we're if we're depressed, you know, we're fucking pussies or like, yeah, exactly, you know, stop being a you're bitch. not working hard enough or all of this yeah. other stuff. Yeah. The stigma, especially amongst black men and mental health with someone like a platform such as yourself. How and when did that become something that was important for you and just kind of your mission to be you know expressive about what's going on in your mind to help other people's minds? be able to be like, I go through that too. Mm. It started to me officially, like when my wife got pregnant with my first daughter, Mm. just because I think at the time, I feel like I was flying by the seat of my pants. I was just moving through life and not taking the time to kind of like sit down and, and just like feel anything with anything that was going on. You know, I had I had cousins that were passing away, like just family that was passing away. I was dealing with, you know, different dramas and traumas and all of this other stuff. And you're also from the projects, too. And yeah, (laughs) you know what I mean? That's that's already asking for problems. Like all of the stuff that I've already been through. I just never sat down and and started to break all of this stuff down. I think once my daughter was coming, I had a conversation kind of just with myself that I didn't want to put anything negative on my daughter. I always understand that quote, you know, the sins of a father makes the sons uh, twice as hard. I didn't want my daughter to have to deal with any of the stuff that I was harboring or that I held on to. So I started to try to dig. And, you know, when you start to dig, you start to kind of find stuff. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's something about having a child as well that, you really don't have to dig that much. I say this all the time. You know, I think there's it's some it's weird when you're about to have a child and you're actually like, you know what, I'm gonna I'm a jump into this, both feet in, et cetera, et cetera. You encounter every single demon that you've ever had in your life. Right. And it's up to you to either exercise them, to dance with them and keep them, or to act like they don't exist. Right. And I felt like I had to get rid of at least some of these before my daughter came, just so that one or two, at least at, at least one or two, yeah, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> just to give her kind of a clean slate. Like I wanted right. her to kind of come into this world and not have to deal with her not being able to fully understand why her dad isn't fully there. Right. And then get older and be like, oh, That's why I want her to see that her dad is working through his situations so that it teaches her how to work through her situations. That's one of the things, right? We call a hood flex is that you had both parents in your household. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's that's kind of a hood flex. You know what I mean? Yeah. uh, Especially where you come from. I've always said, like, there's something I feel about when guys have a daughter, a lot of things start switching up. Yeah. Just the way that you look at everything. Yeah. For you, your daughter, you have how many kids do you have now? Two. Two girls. Two, two girls. You're a girl dad, right? Mm-hmm. How do you keep yourself from going crazy with all those girls around? And then it's just you. You got a dog or something? No, I might need one. I might need one. I think the biggest thing right now, 
a lot of times is work. You know, yeah. I, I kind of like, I don't want to say bury myself in work, but I, I'm, I'm somebody who's often, I have my hands in a lot of different pots and I'm always kind of mixing. So that's you one. Got, you got it. You got to in this business. Yeah. If you have one job in this business, you're not going to do yeah, well. You're not going to do well at all. At you got to have 15 jobs. That's what it is. It's literally. So hands are always mixing different things. I also try to take some, like, not only give myself some time, but give my wife some time, right? I think that you have to split up time between each each one of the girls. That's another way to do it. That Well, that's another way that I do it, right? Like, I got to spend time with my oldest as much as I like, I spend some time with her alone, just me and her, spend some time with my wife alone, spend some time with the youngest alone, spend some time with just the girls, spend some time with just the wife. And then I got to get my own alone time as well. And a lot of times my own alone time comes like when I'm at the gym, like I'll spend like an hour and a half, two hours at the gym going crazy. But like, yeah, you're, you're all jacked now, dude. Thanks. What's going on? <laughs> that's that's where you get all yeah. of it out. Now I Literally. know. Now I know. Literally. I go to the gym, I work out, and it's really like I get a chance to just put on music, take phone calls. Like I could do whatever I want in the gym. So that's my safe space right now. It may turn into something else later, like golf or who knows. I don't nah, know. You'll get you'll get there. You'll get there. I just started yeah. playing golf. You'll get there, trust me. The thing is too is pretending to be other people. Yeah. It's kind of hard to turn off. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't know how to do it properly. That's something that you probably have to learn in the business as well. Right. I've never acted. So, you know, as someone who loves film and television, anything art, I love it. But, you know, it's, it's watching people portray a story through other taking somebody's written word and making it real. Yeah. And making it real is one of the most difficult things that anybody could do. Yeah. In the world, it's just so hard to do. You know what I mean? And for you, how is it possible to like have like a huge scene and then go home and be a normal person? I feel like I would cry for like three hours. It is hard. And nobody understands it, though. That's yeah. the thing. It's just like, yo, like, all right, yo, like as soon as like you're done, like being upset over here, uh, you know, just go kid, home. Yeah, yeah, the kids need to, the kids need kids need to eat. So, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, that's got to be hard for you to juggle as well. It is. It is. But I think. A lot of the help with that comes from my wife, right? I think she just from her being slightly, I, I would say, business uh, kind of adjacent. Yeah. Not only was she working here, you know, or doing the extra work, she also started doing PR work when she got out of college. And, you know, she's she's definitely very much business adjacent. So she understands the business to a certain extent. That helps. So those days that I come home and it's it's been a long, rough day and, you know, drained emotionally, physically. However, she definitely understands and takes the cues and is on some like, nah, you know, I got tonight. Yeah. So I think that's uh, that's definitely one of the that's one of the good things. I love that you give your wife just like super major props. Yeah, got to. You know, like, like whenever you got a chance to do it. And it's not a marketing thing. It's real deal. Doing this type of business, raising two girls at the same time, you know, you need a partner and you got to make sure that you have a really good partner. And, you know, I can look like Michael Jordan, but I'm not Michael Jordan unless I have Scottie Pippen. And that's her. Yep. Yeah, damn, that's a bar. I'm going to use that on my wife later tonight. Uh, <laughs> I'll even be Scotty. You know what I mean? Scotty like, was pretty good, too. He was. He was pretty you know, good. He was pretty good. Top 75, you know Exactly. I mean? I'll, I'll exactly. take Scotty. I'll take Rodman. Some, I'm yeah. more of a Rodman. I'm more I, I of a Rodman. That. I get that. Okay. 
The other thing too is even for you though, right? It's a very depressing business. You get fired from every job you get hired. Literally. Literally, there's an end date for every single job. What is dealing with that like? Just being like, hey, what's up? I'm signing up for this thing that eventually I'm going to get fired from. Even if it goes 15 seasons, they still got to fire me. Yeah. How do you deal with that as a prideful man? The thing is, I don't know much else, right? I think the only other job that I've ever had besides this was working at my dad's barbershop, you know. Hard to get fired from there. Really, really hard to get fired from my dad's barbershop. For real. So I was sweeping hair when I was 10. By the time I was 11, he was teaching me how to cut hair. I was cutting hair like every summer from 11 to 13. Then 13, I started to audition for stuff. That was my work experience. Like if I had a resume right now, it would just on jobs, different jobs, it it would look terrible. I would say like I was acting and then, you know, I had this other thing. It's like, hey, what's up? I worked in a barber shop, and then like a month later, I was working with Spike Lee. You can't exactly. tell me shit. Yeah, yeah. You can't tell that's me it. shit. That's it. That's, that's, that's it. how I would feel. Do you ever take time just to reflect on life and stop and smell the roses? Yeah, it's more recent than anything else. Every now and then, and my wife, I usually do it on my birthday. Like I feel like, you know, New Year's, you know, you do the whole uh New Year, new me put your resolutions or you know, do your uh your whatever. You do all of your stuff. But for my birthday specifically, I feel like that is the time that I can I try to get away from everybody and everything, just whether it's for an hour, if it's a full day, which never happens now. (laughs) But just even whatever amount of time I'll buy myself like a very expensive bottle of champagne or wine or something like that. I'll get a Cuban cigar. I deserve this somewhere. And I'll just think about the year. Yeah, I'll think about the year. I'll think about what happened, the good, the bad, the ugly, reflect, you know, appreciate how things have gone, understand that things I wouldn't have been here right now if all of those things didn't happen the way that it did. And, you know, just just have a moment of gratitude and Mm. just have that moment to myself, drink my champagne, smoke my cigar and just appreciate life the way that it is right then and there. And this really started to happen during the pandemic. So because usually I would run through life. I would throw a big party. I would, you know, right. I'm not having a moment to kind of just sit and think. But as of late, I try to use my birthdays now to have that moment to just to just sit and think. Uh, let me tell you something. COVID had the ghost of Christmas past coming around every day. That was a, that was a rough go that year. It was pretty rough. Goodness. I could sit and talk to you all day. We'll do it again at some point. Yeah, we have to. We have to. Absolutely. But like I said, I really hope that um, you do just take a moment in your life and even the listener too, just to look at all the stuff that you've accomplished in your life and let it be motivating for your next, Yeah, where you're going next. But just be like, you know, I'm doing a pretty good job. Pat yourself on the back every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah, it's necessary, man. You have to, because, you know, there's some nights where we go to sleep, we're on top of the world, and then we have nights where we go to sleep, we're like, I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing. (laughs) Man. (laughs) Oh, we have, I could tell you about those nights. Like, what is this fatherhood thing? This is crazy. And then your wife is just like, you okay? And you're like, yeah, I'm good. (laughs) I'm great. And then you're up till four o'clock in the morning, like Googling shit and trying to figure your life out. Oh, man. (laughs) Are you still in therapy now? I am. I am. Good. Yeah, you need it. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's necessary. How has your life changed in terms of therapy? Like, because there's a lot of different therapy, right? Because a lot of people deal mm. with trauma-based therapy. My thing is uh, I have panic disorder. So my thing is uh, uh, okay. I have cognitive behavioral therapy. So I have to learn the science of the brain and how it works about the fight or flight. Mm -hmm. How long have you been in therapy? And if you could say anything for the listener, uh, why therapy is so important for you and your process. I think this is my second full year in therapy. Good for you. And I think what I can tell a listener for, for people who are listening, just kind of like about therapy or just, you know, trying to understand yourself, understand that, you know, you got to give one, one first and foremost, you got to give yourself grace. You got to give yourself grace. One thing that I learned in therapy is that I may seem on the outside to a bunch of different people, like the nicest person ever, but I speak to myself like shit, like, oh man, I give myself shit. So I had to learn how to give myself grace and learn how to speak to myself better, like just to be able to handle myself in a, in a gentler, kinder way. You start to realize once you do it, how much that actually helps. But besides that, it's always good to talk to somebody as if you're looking in the mirror, mm-hmm. just through our own eyesight. We can't see our own noses. We can't see our lips, et cetera, et cetera. We can't see our own face unless we look in the mirror. And I think a lot of times when you find that right therapist, that's exactly what you're doing. They give you an opportunity to put a mirror up against yourself, see where you are, see what you are and show you and help you guide you through the ways to make yourself better. So Mm, I could have put it any better myself. I never really thought of that analogy. Not damn, dude. I always say everybody comes on the show is so smart and I'm just chilling. But uh, that's there's the, depre- <laughs> the depression, self-deprecation right there. Um, before before we get out of here, you have a new TV show. Yes. On on Apple that's coming out. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, man. Uh, Swagger. This is uh, our season two of Swagger a TV show produced by my big homie, Reggie Rock Bythewood, uh, by Kevin Durant, my brother. And uh, by imagine, yeah, Kevin still wish he came to the next, but it's all right. I let it go. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. fine. We talk about I talk to him all the time about it. He's like the Knicks, bro. I'm like, yes, the Knicks. Anyway, Knicks were hoping this year, baby. They they were. We'll be back next year. Yeah, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. But no uh, show. It's it's based about it's based around kind of loosely based on Kevin Durant's life as he was growing up. So our first season was kind of about the grassroots basketball circuits, the youth leagues, all of that stuff. And then this season, we're starting to talk about the prep schools and the NILs and how you're starting to see, you know, young cats who are kind of on the cusp of manhood, but already the man on their campuses, what that looks like. It's going to be a crazy season. I love it because you want to know what it is too. It used to be illegal to get those bags. Yeah. Now these kids are getting these bags legally. A lot of people are going to have to grow up really, really fast. Yeah. And it's a tough business. So when does uh, season two drop? We start up June 23rd. June 23rd is our drop date. Okay. June 23rd. And that's going to be on Apple TV, right? Apple TV plus. Apple TV Plus. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. got to throw the yeah, plus in there. Got to throw the plus in there. I always have one last question that I ask every guest that comes on the show is, are you happy today? Mm, today, yes. Today, yeah, just today, in the yeah. moment. In the moment, yes. All right, that's good. I'm, that's- I'm very happy. I woke up. I got a chance to see my daughters. Both of them smiled, which is very hard for one of them. One of them is, <laughs> is a mean mugger, but both of them woke up smiling. My yeah, wife so you- is happy and in school. 
Yeah. I'm happy. That's good. Yeah. So she's got that Michael Lee uh, mean mug in her. Oh, man. Does she? It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. There it is, man. Listen, super proud of you, man. Obviously, dude, I've been a fan for 15 years. You know what I mean? So, you, and I'm going to be Thank a fan you. for another 15. But uh, yeah, stay in touch. Like I always say, if there's anything we could ever do for you on this show, anything that we could ever do for you in the community, we're always here for our guests. The other thing too is where can everybody find you on the internet? Where can they check you out? Everybody find me uh, at Mac Wilds, M-A-C-K-W-I-L-D-S on all social media platforms. Come check me out. Hit me up. Talk to me. I'm posting every now and then, but yeah, I'm out there. What's the genesis of Mac too, before I let you out of here? Honestly? Yeah. So when I was born uh, around the same time, my dad's sister had a child as well. My cousin, Courtney. So Courtney's maybe like a year or two older than me. And around the same time, or maybe a few years before we were born, our great, great grandmother just passed away. Uh, And her last name was Macmillan. She left and she didn't have any sons. Right. And we felt like in order to keep her name alive, we wanted to split her name up. So they gave me Mac and they gave my cousin Millen. So I'm Tristan Paul Mac Wilds and my cousin is Courtney Millen Jabwa. So, yeah, it's uh, they split it up. Yeah, you won that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you won that one. I would have had to change it to million. Like, yeah, yeah, million. Yeah, 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 yeah. You would have had to turn, like, flip it on its head a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, guys, make sure you guys go uh, June 23rd. Go see season two, Apple TV Plus of Swagger. Also, go rewatch The Wire. Yes, go, sir. You know what I mean? Secret Life of Bees. Mm-hmm. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Again, Tristan, thank you so much for your time, my no, man. Thank you, man. Uh, and also, before I really let you out of here, uh, I appreciate you talking about your faith too. Of course. In a world where you know it's a, uh, we could all use a little more faith. Man, can we listen? I don't care what, how, who you pray to, just pray, man. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, you got you got to stay prayed up. That's it. Stay prayed up. I agree. And uh, guys, you can follow us at one one OTC on TikTok and Instagram, all that stuff. And uh, yeah, that's it. And we will see you guys next week. Tristan, thanks again for coming on the show. Of course, man. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Off the Cuff, presented to you by 101 Life. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and send us some love with a review. And don't forget, we're all in this together and you're never alone. Peace. Fate. Entertainment. Ah!